You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show that explores how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. In each episode, we'll take you on a tour of the city to discover how the gospel speaks into both the unique opportunities and challenges Christians face in an urban context. This is a show from Chicago and for Chicago. So let's get to work. Thank you again for joining us on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. I am Will Pereja, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Eric Vicker. Good to see you, Eric. Thanks for coming and showing up to podcast time again. I love these podcasts, and uh, I just want our audience to know that you have carried the bulk of getting so many of our fabulous guests on for the second season. Our first season was pretty much just you and me bantering. I'm surprised that people still tuned in for a second season after that. <laughs> but now this whole second season has been like guest after guest. Pretty and if you've benefited from it as you listen, it's because uh, Will Preya is, has all sorts of connections, people who he loves, people who love him. And so and we're delighted. Chicago. And who love Chicago. Amen. And, the, and, and most importantly, who love um, the gospel for Chicago. Amen. Amen. Um, so thank you, Will, for getting so many people on this. It is my pleasure. In one of our last episodes, um, we started the episode by talking about the Apostle Paul's feeling as he was unpacking the basics of the gospel message the incarnation of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his appearances. And he says, like, as to one who is untimely born, it's like he, he feels like, I don't know if I belong in this, this crew here. He's looking around like, ah, I'm this I feel like out of place. There's reason for that. He meets the Lord Jesus after he's ascended to heaven, whereas all the other apostles... Yes, knew him while he was roaming the earth. Yeah, so there, there's, there's all that is, that's the the tightest explanation right there, Eric. But Paul had this sense, and he even says this in First Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And so, anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ anywhere in the world, but in our city, may may have a time in their life when they think that man, I am, I am the worst sinner here at the table, anywhere on my blog, at work. And so we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a guest who I think his story lines up as one that you would think is an untimely, maybe unlikely prospect for salvation. And how, how glorious it is that God, God traffics in the in the realm of the unlikely and the <laughs> untimely Amen. for us. And so um, you heard the story of Juan Elias Riesco um, from a couple weeks ago, what he, what he was and what he became. One of the things he became also in addition to becoming a follower of Christ is he was a successful businessman and leading one of Chicago's most successful businesses that had partnerships and agreements with Nike and Apple and all kinds of things. He was the face. He was the architect, the designer. And then 2020 rolled around um, and, and the business uh, went to pots 
like a lot of things did that year. But not to rehash the former episode, go back and listen to that episode, or better yet, go look at the Paint the Wall Black documentary, which is linked in our show notes to find out more of that backstory. What we actually want to focus on is in this episode is to bring back Brother Juan um, to the podcast studio to talk about what he's doing now. I met Juan within this last year of 2023, and I was introduced to him as somebody who had this great story with this documentary, and I watched bits of it. I'm like, all right, I think I watched it too fast because last I knew this guy is in Texas, and somebody here in Chicago wants me to get to know a guy who is in Texas. And when I'm like evaluating my time, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I don't think I really want to meet with somebody who's in Texas because I, I just got so much to do. But I misunderstood that this guy who had sought asylum in Texas was back in Chicago, this, this Juan guy. And so Juan is the guy that I blame for my new love for yet again another plug for that great restaurant down on Sheffield for Bolivar and Lincoln, <laughs> where I take and evangelize all, all manner of people uh, and introduce them to Juan, introduced me to that great restaurant. Juan, we're glad to have you back on the show, brother. Thanks for making time for us. Oh, I'm hyped to be here, Pastor Juan. I'm hyped to know that you love that restaurant too. I, love I that. still, I still love it. You plugged it on the, on the podcast before? Yes. Yes, yes we have. Yes. It, uh, you take other podcast guests Good. to, to that yes, restaurant. It's times. There was even a group here, um, just using our space that was out of state and they used our fellowship hall for some kind of training. Uh, I think Eric's brother was connected with them, and they were like, hey, Eric, where should we get lunch at? Oh, yeah. It's only one place yep. in the whole city. <laughs> Nini's. <laughs> yes. Nini's. R.I.P. <laughs> yep, they went there. Oh, but, I love but, that. But, yeah, so Such w- a good place. Juan introduced me to, to that place. And, I mean, aside from his whole story, folks, the man has a palate and a, both the eye and the taste for good food. Um, and, and so... Yeah, I'm sure he's good for a lot of things, but that was a that was a win, man. Thanks, that is brother. a gift that has kept on giving over Taste here. Taste and see Taste that the Lord see. is good, brother Amen. Will. That, that was your mission statement, yes. Nini's. Basically, yeah. Your your life has benefited me in many ways already, brother. So we, we want to ask now, yeah. Juan. Yeah. You came back to Chicago yes. after uh, to kind of seeking refuge in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, death threats were coming to you because mm-hmm. of the the debacle in 2020 and shutting down the business. So you came back to Chicago. You had, you had attempted to restart yeah. the restaurant, That's right? right. Yeah. We attempted to restart the restaurant um, a whole year after everything happened. Um, really, we the documentary came out and there were so many people that reached out to us over email and the comments on YouTube. And they were like, man, if you guys ever reopen the restaurant, I want to go. I want to support. And it was super encouraging. So we were like, man, let's give this thing a shot. So we moved back to Chicago. Um, it was a another debacle. Everything I posted on social media went viral. I, I like I, I posted my testimony, like, "Hey, Nini's is reopening," and I just want you guys to know because a lot of people didn't know the first time. I used to be a homosexual. Now I'm a born again Christian, and I shared that whole testimony. Mm. Well, that got like half a million views. Then I posted like, "Hey, since we're reopening, you should probably know this too. This is our view on marriage and community and how we see the world operating." And then I put like five empanadas on a paper on on a on a on a, on a spreadsheet. 
Um, and I, the top one, it was the biggest empanada that said God. Then the bottom one said family. <laughs> then it said husband, then wife, and then children. You know, the family order of society and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And that went viral, got like 20,000 likes, or, but uh, down votes actually on Facebook. And, and so it was a whole other new debacle. But we gave it a shot. Um, and uh, the Lord just ultimately didn't want us there. Uh, we lasted for about a year. Um, and then the Lord shut the doors. Um, and we felt like we had really closed with dignity this time. Um, we thought we really were, thought we were hearing from the Lord. Um, but you know, he clearly had other plans. It was to bring us back to Chicago, but it was not to necessarily run the business because a week before closing is when this ministry that I'm now with love life reached out to me. And I was like, I think that's where God wants me. Okay. So love life. Yes. This is what you're doing now. Correct. You're back at Metro Praise International Church. That's right. Where yep. you became a Christian, were baptized, yep. discipled. You're bl plugged in as yes. if you didn't miss anything. So you're there. You live in that general area yep. of the city. Yep. Um, you, you have a, a, a lovely wife and three young children. Yes. Um, and now you've been back in Chicago a couple years, yep. but the restaurant didn't go. So now you're That's right. involved in, okay, broadly, nonprofit work. Correct. What is love life? Somebody might might uh, yeah. get confused when they see that. Like, yeah, yeah. you're gonna so, help them find their <laughs> yeah. soulmate. So, love life is a uh, evangelical ministry that's focused on bringing the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church to abortion-minded moms and dads. So, we help uh, unite and mobilize local churches to really not just be pro-life, but to be proactive in standing in the gap for the unborn, which is the most most um, really uh, oppressed people group in our nation. Unborn babies who die by the millions every year and hardly nobody, many people don't say anything about it. And so the way I got introduced to them was actually uh, three months before rest my restaurant closed the second time when I came back, I had got invited to share my testimony and to kind of do like a public screening of my documentary at a pro-life um, uh, conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I had never really spoken at a conference or anything like that before, um, but they wanted to air the documentary and they wanted me to give kind of like a, an encouraging charge at the end of it. And I was like, yeah, it sounds great. So they aired this documentary for like two, 300, around two or 300 people or so um, at this conference. I go up and speak. It was such a cool experience for me. I had never done anything like that before. Not to, not to so many people, at least who were Christian. Um, and uh, I get home and I have this, this burden in my heart and essentially what I felt the Lord impressing on my heart was you just went to Nashville, Tennessee to stand against abortion and for the hope of the gospel in the midst of this grave sin in our land. But you don't do that too much here in Chicago. And now at that point, I had ministered outside of abortion clinics probably a total of 10 times in my life. Um, but considering that somewhere of like 100 babies die a day in Chicago through abortion, going 10 times really didn't balance out too well in my heart. And so I just prayed and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like I, this, this sin was so heavy on my heart. And I decided to make a promise with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to go to the abortion clinic once a week and I'm going to minister the gospel by God's grace and in, in love and in truth to the moms and dads and clinic employees and everybody I can. But I'm going to go once a week, God. And so I made this promise to God in July of 2022 that I would go to the abortion clinics once a week. At that point, Nini's was still open. I didn't think it was going to close because it uh, it ended up closing three months later. But I, I didn't have intentions of it closing. My intention was for it to stay open. 
Um, but I would leave work and I would go. I did my best to go once a week. Uh, well, by the time Nini's ended up closing a few months later, I knew that I, the Lord still wanted me to do this, but I was applying for new jobs right before it closed. And the week before it closed, I got a message from Love Life. Who's in, they're in 18 cities, and they were considering expanding to Chicago. And they said, hey, we're, we're looking for somebody in Chicago. They had got my, my contact from the brother who had brought me out to his conference in Nashville. And they said, uh, we're looking for somebody in Chicago who's willing to you know, be a part of our ministry. And ultimately, uh, out of all the duties you would have, one of the main duties is we're looking for you to preach outside of abortion clinics once a week. And I was like... Well, shucks, God, I had made that promise to you three months ago that I would oh, go wow. once a week. And so I realized at that point that God had done everything he did with Nini, shut the doors down the first time in 2020, bring me to Texas, help plant a church, bring me back to Chicago, help me reopen Nini's only for it to close, for me to make this vow to him, for him to bring me to this ministry where now I get to utilize all the different things that God had taught me in business for 10 years to now bring the gospel to the most hurting people in our city. So what is it that you do? So yeah, yeah. there's the vow side of things, mm -hmm. but I mean. So what does it look like to unite and mobilize local churches? Yeah, yeah, tell us about that. Hopefully bring the hope of the gospel, yeah. So what it looks like is, um, by God's grace, we, we work with churches to, to do what we call adoption weeks. Um, an adoption week is just a way that a local church can become involved in bringing the gospel to abortion-minded moms and dads. And the, f the way that we do it is with four points. The first point is that we ask pastors and churches to preach a message on life from the pulpit. And now many people could be like, well, that's easy. I always talk about life in Christ and life, you know. But we have to make it explicit when we say life in regards to how it pertains to abortion, which ends life. Because 50% of people who get abortions identify as Christian. And 30% of that 50% go to evangelical churches within the last 60 days of their abortion. And so many of the people walking in abortion clinics are sitting in church pews like the one we're sitting in today. And they need to know from the top down in their church that their church loves them and their baby, stands against the sin of abortion and sex out of marriage, but it's not the unforgivable sin. They can be forgiven stay in the church and they don't have to run to an abortion clinic to do something so unthinkable. So the first way that we help mobilize local churches is by encouraging them to first preach a message on life from the pulpit. I firmly believe that change in America does not start in whoever is our mayor or president or anything. I believe it happens pulpit down. I believe true change in America it starts pulpit down. And so we want to see abortion abortion, a, a grave sin like abortion come to an end, we need the pulpits to preach. It's not my, it's not going to be my, my work. It's not going to be me or anything like that I've experienced. I believe God has entrusted his people and his bride with bringing forth the truth. And, and in our society, the way that looks is typically from a pulpit position. Um, so the first thing we do is ask pastors to preach a message on life. The second thing we do is we ask churches to collectively pray. Um, we ask um, after they've heard the message on life on Sunday at their midweek prayer service, which is usually Wednesdays or Thursdays, to focus on praying that abortion-minded moms and dads would hear the gospel and give their life to the Lord. Focus on praying that abortion will come to an end, that our, our nation and city would outlaw it. So ultimately, you hear it from the pulpit, and then you hear the message from your peers at the prayer service. The third thing we do is we host what we call 
a peaceful prayer walk outside of the city's largest abortion facility. Which is where? Right in the heart of the West Loop, about five minutes away from Alcheval Diner, the most famous burger in the city. Mm. Mm-hmm. I knew that would get you going. <laughs> on on Halstead, <laughs> it's right on Halstead yeah. near Randolph, Yeah, is the abortion clinic where they kill 30 to 40 babies every single day, over a quarter million casualties since 1980. That's happened right in our backyard, and we asked- that one clinic. That's one out of the 15 in the city, one out of the 30 and more so coming in our, in our state. Yeah. So we say, church, would you hear the message on life on Sunday? Pastor, make sure it's filled with love, seasoned with truth. Make sure that church knows that you love them and are standing with them and don't want them to do this. So it's a, it's a grace-filled message. Then we ask the church to focus their prayer service, midweek prayer service on life. Then we ask that church to join us in a peaceful prayer walk where we don't yell at moms. We're not cursing out anybody. We're not holding up signs of aborted babies. We're simply there to pray and intercede in front of the gates of hell. And then the fourth thing that we do is we ask the church, that, hey, does anybody, has anyone here been motivated by this week? Has anyone here felt God stirring something in their, in their, in their spirit to want to not just be pro-life, but be proactive? Well, our ministry wants to train your church for free on how to do either mentorship. Maybe you can mentor a mom or dad who chooses life. Um, maybe you feel led to want to learn how to do sidewalk counseling, which is the number one way that we save babies. Or maybe you feel led to be a donor. You want to help fund this thing and help this thing go. We want to make space for all three of those different walks of life. And since, by God's grace, we've been doing these adoption weeks since, by God, which is we started this February of 2023. By God's grace, we've helped mobilize around 500 born again Christians to peacefully pray outside of Chicago's busiest abortion clinic. And by God's grace, that has yielded 23 saved babies, babies whose lives now have been spared from abortion through the preaching of the gospel and the praying of the saints outside of that clinic. So, a few more. And, and essentially, you you get to bring back one day of the calendar of, right. of 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 casualties. That's exactly right. So we pray for we need to pray for yeah. Well, many more, but yeah. get to that thirty and forty yeah. mark. Yeah. And you will have effectively uh, cut out yep. a, a one day of casualty business. That's exactly right. Uh, That's the, exactly right. And the clinic has been so startled by uh, the the praying and, and the worshiping that we've been doing outside of that clinic where just last week they published an article on me. Uh, Block Club Chicago published an article saying that I'm harming their business at the abortion clinic and that the mayor, uh, uh, the I'm sorry, the alderman of the first ward, which is the district that the, the ward that the abortion clinic's in, he's now looking to um, erect new laws specifically for that community to stop me from being out there. He's trying to create what he calls a quiet zone in that neighborhood, so I can no longer lift up my voice. Is that Daniel Laspada? Uh, no, that's that's the neighborhood where Nini's was at. No, this is the West Loop, so it's a little bit west of there. It's a guy named something Conway. I forgot his first name. Um, but uh, they are actively looking to stop us from being able to pray and worship outside of that clinic. You've never had opposition like that before, though. Not someone no, to set up a new law. <laughs> no, yeah. not a new law. That's a new one for me. <laughs> But that's the in their block club article, they literally say that you can hear our preaching and praying and worship from inside the clinic. And we know that to be true because there was one day when I was all by myself outside of the clinic. I, I couldn't get anyone to go with me. It was when I had first started the ministry here in Chicago. 
and I was, I got, usually I go from nine to 11 AM and on Wednesdays is one of the days that I'm there. And I got there at eight o'clock that morning and I said, God, I'm just going to do my devotionals outside of this abortion clinic. And so I'm walking around the clinic. I had my headphones in and, um, I'm just praying the Lord worshiping as I'm walking all by myself. And in my spirit, I felt that the Lord wanted me to stop doing my devotional and preach open air preach. I was by myself. And I was like, no, God, I'm here to do devotionals. That just sounds weird. Why am I going to open air preach right now? Plus, it was the clinic hadn't even opened. At least I didn't think they opened. I thought they opened at eight or nine or something. And I didn't think anybody was even in there at that point. But I just couldn't get the urge off of my spirit. And so I said, okay, I'm going to preach. So I took my headphones off, went to my car, got my Bible, and I started open air preaching in front of the, in front of the place. And I have the video on my phone. Uh, because I, I usually get videos when I open air preach to protect myself because if I don't have a witness, then I need someone, something. So I'm taking, you know, I set up my phone. I'm, I'm doing a video and I'm just open air preaching in front of the abortion clinic. And I'm just preaching of God's love and his wrath and his justice and his mercy, you know, trying to be balanced. And a woman walks out and she says, I heard your preaching. And I knew it was God speaking to me. And I'm not getting the abortion today. I'm going home. And I just like, I remember I, I, I instantly went from preacher to just like counselor and love and just like, like my, my tone and my countenance just like switched so quick when she said that. Cause at first I thought she was going to be like combative a bit, but she totally wasn't. And she said, thank you so much for preaching. Mm. And, um, I gave her our, our ministry information. I said, we'd love to help you with a baby shower because that's one of the things that our ministry does. And she's like, I'm just going to go home. And she just went home. Hmm. Praise so, the Lord. Hmm. That's, that's the type of work that we want to help encourage and empower local churches to be a part of. Uh, and it's just such a wonderful, wonderful way to participate in what God wants for our city. Yeah. So two things that you can take whatever time you need to answer these. But I'm curious, just like what are the general statistics so you mentioned the one clinic, but can you speak to like statistics? Absolutely. Um, like locally, state, mm -hmm. city, uh, you know, there's other clinics. Of course. I mean, there's, other, yeah, I, I can think of others. I'm not even thinking of the one you go to. Right. So there's, that's a question about mm -hmm. the numbers. Mm -hmm. And the other is how does Love Life, mm -hmm. your organization, how does it interact or intersect with mm -hmm. other good um, Christian nonprofits mm -hmm that are kind of doing the same thing or how are you different? Mm -hmm. So those two things. Mm -hmm. So the number one uh, thing to know about um, like abortion in the city is this is the one facility that's considered the busiest facility, um, which is 30 to 40 killed babies uh, every day open since 1980, which is total around a quarter million abortions at this, that one clinic alone. Um, but Illinois as a whole has a, ma a masses around 60,000 aborted babies. Um, that's data from the Illinois Department of Health that they've reported in 2020. New data has not came out since then, since 2020, but many people are saying that in 2023, the numbers are likely to have doubled because of all this, many of the surrounding states around Illinois that have banned a lot, almost abortion in its entirety. So because of places like Indiana, for example, that has outlawed most abortions. Now those people are actively coming to Chicago. Mm. So people are saying that our numbers in Chicago and Illinois are to have doubled 
the next time the Illinois Department of Health actually reports them. Mm. Um, and then the way— Do you, do you feel that when Oh, you're my there? gosh, dude. We certainly do. When we're at the abortion clinic, it's almost like every other car or one out of three cars is not from Illinois mm. that pulls up. We see Kentucky, we see Florida, we see Indiana, and people are literally driving across state lines to abort their children. And our governor has actually coined a term for this. He calls it abortion tourism. Tourism. So as Pritzker calls it that. Correct. So as tourism in Chicago has kind of declined because of the violence and stuff, abortion tourism is skyrocketing. Because we have become a place where people can get abortions with almost no questions asked. Hmm. And so we absolutely sense that when we're there. Uh, I'd love for you to come out with me one time, bro. Just even if it's it's not to minister, like just to pray and just to see it, it'll change you, bro. Like many people have never seen that. Like the the way these moms and dads get dropped off in front of the clinic, you would think they're running inside to 7-Eleven to grab a Slurpee or something. Like they give each other a kiss on the cheek. Oh, I see you later. Like. They look like they're happy. That was one of my questions. Like, oh yeah. What, what's the general the the general mood usually? Oh yeah. It's just well, we casual. We see all walks of life, all right. walks of life, and all all types of moods. But generally, it's very casual, and people make it seem like they're not going in to kill a baby. That they, you know, and and oftentimes they have been lied to so long they may not actually think it's a baby. Right. You think that that's a baby in their room. So it it's it's interesting. It's a mixed bag. Um, but then, brother Will, you also said. You know, what makes love life different? I think what makes, by God's grace, love life special at all is that we're local church focused. So we are actually not a pro-life ministry. We consider ourselves a gospel Christian ministry, (laughs) a a pro-gospel ministry. Um, This is one of the implications of that. That's it. It's a major one. We are not focused on saving lives. We're not. We are focused on bringing the gospel to this place this dark place. And in that comes the saving of lives, which the Bible tells us in John 10, 10 will, that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to bring life and life more abundant. So that's what we do. We are called to bring the life of the gospel to the gates of hell. And so we do not consider ourselves a pro-life organization by any means. We simply want to come alongside of local churches and say, hey, there's this abortion clinic in your backyard. I get it. You may have never thought about it. You may have never really realized it, but 30 to 40 babies are dying every day. Don't you want to bring the gospel there? Right. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, cool, let's go. Yeah. And then we come alongside of local churches to help empower and encourage them yeah. to go out there. So we do not want to be pro-life. We're not trying to be that. We are trying to be pro-gospel. And in that, maybe a life or soul will get saved. Yeah, amen. So how does Love Life yeah. partner or work with other organizations that might not have the exact same mission, yeah. but have similar missions? So the, the, really, we, we are a we are a ministry focused on partnering with churches. That's it. We are focused on uniting and mobilizing local churches to bring the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church to the abortion clinic. We don't really work with other organizations too much, just because we're just we just have one thing that we do. Yeah. We just encourage pastors You're not and churches. To do everything exactly. Yeah. yeah, we encourage pastors and churches to come bring the gospel out to the darkest place in their city. That's really all we're focused on doing. Yeah. Do you have stats on churches in Chicago yet or no? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, by God's grace, I, I mentioned earlier, we've helped mobilize around 500 born-again Christians to come pray outside of the abortion clinic. So we are not a Christian, uh, I'm sorry, we are not a Catholic organization. We are an ex- exclusively evangelical organization. Um, and so we've helped a- around 500 born-again Christians in Chicago to pray outside the clinics. Uh, we have around 15 to 20-ish partnering churches and ministries uh, here in Chicago, 
and we're actively looking to to grow that because yeah, yeah. we believe that there's abortion clinics in almost everyone's backyard. Yeah. And the only answer is the gospel. Yeah. Do you That's have it. any individual names or churches where you felt where yeah. you feel like this is making some serious inroads yeah. since February? Yeah, yeah. So um New Hope Community Church is an awesome church in the suburbs of Chicago um, that is doing a lot of work to bring the gospel to abortion-minded moms and dads. Um, New Life Community Church, Mark Job's church, um, from their east side campus. Uh, New Life Community, um, Mark Job, the yeah. director of Moody Bible, his one of his locations, uh, the east side, New Life Community east side, um, has partnered with us and is doing awesome things for the gospel in regards to bringing the gospel to abortion-minded moms and dads. Also, New Life Brookfield is doing amazing things uh, in regards to bringing the gospel to the abortion clinics. Um, Pastor Rick Tatina is just an amazing man of God. Um, also, um, Pastor Moody from the South Side, he is a pastor of a church called Chicago City Life Center. Uh, they're all opening up a women's shelter for moms who are abortion-minded that want to keep their baby but don't have a place to live. They're in the process of doing that and raising up um, mentors to help disciple the moms as well. So there's quite a bit of churches that are really passionate about um, seeing the gospel going forth to abortion-minded people. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Yeah. So this feels, to, to your point, yeah. some states, they're making it almost impossible to get an abortion in. Yes. Uh, ours is like expanding, doubling. You're, you're anticipating the numbers. Yes. So this has got to feel like Babylon. Like this has got to feel like in a sense, one of the darkest places Dude, you could be. I actually look at it the exact opposite way. Not to be naive. Yes, yeah. there are people dying. But the way that I see it is like this, bro. Daniel couldn't have been, I'm sorry, David was not. would not be known as the David that we know if there had not been a Goliath in his land. Like, the fact that he got to slay a Goliath by faith through a rock uh, made him so such a special character for us to raise our kids and tell our kids about right. him, you know? So I believe, bro, God is giving us an opportunity to participate in the slaying of Goliath. <laughs> I really do. And right. so when I approach churches, I don't approach it from a sense where I'm like, hey, pastor, there's this sin. And yeah, you probably heard about it. It's a little <laughs> bit controversial. Maybe, hey, maybe you want to, I don't know, do something about it. Dude, I'm literally like, bro, do you want to go slay Goliath? <laughs> right. Like we can do this together. Right. Do you right. want to participate in history in the making we are been we have been given this opportunity to participate in one of the greatest moves of God, yeah. which would be the ending of this sin in right. our land. Right. I believe that is so powerful mm. and such an honor to be a part of that. Right. And so, dude, when I approach pastors and ministers and things like this, dude, I don't do it to shame them and say, you haven't been doing anything. I'm like, bro. Let's go do yeah, God's yeah. work together. Right. I've seen human beings' lives saved right. through this. Do you want to come? Right. And, dude, when they say no. It's an invitation onto an, an adventure. Exactly. And, dude, many people have said no, and I hold no bitterness against them. I don't think they're less saved. I don't think they're less Christian. I just think, man, I pray God opens up their eyes to this because it's yeah. a really serious right. matter. But I continue to pray for them and love them yeah. and, and believe the best of their salvation and stay there for them. Because, dude, there was a time when I was a Christian, born right. again, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't doing anything about it. So how dare I judge another man's slave or servant, like the Bible says. How dare you judge yeah. another man's servant? So I just believe the best for people. And I know that God is going to bring who he wants to bring to this ministry. And, right. And that's it. Uh, the question I was going to ask you is, oh, I was going to ask you, would you agree that what you're describing now, which is an invitation into this adventure, 
an invitation into slaying Goliath is actually just a microcosm of of the Christian life. Like it's not a it's not a matter of ascribing the precepts, though there's certainly an aspect to that. But like come follow Jesus. Like come get in on this thing that you're actually created to do. Would you agree that in some sense there's a relation between your invitation yeah. and just generally speaking the invitation that we should be making as a church? Dude, that's so people? good. That's so good. And the verse that resonates with me is Ephesians 5:11 that talks about the duty of the believer is not simply to believe but also to expose darkness. Mm. And then Paul says also in uh what is it? Maybe Corinthians somewhere where he's Philippians one, he says, you have called not just to be saved, but to participate in suffering for Christ. And so I think that we can shy away from the exposing of evils and the suffering for Christ so much because we've had it, you know, pretty darn good here in America. And me too. I've had it great here in the States, you know? Um, But the early church and Christians all over the world know that these are things that, you know, are married to salvation in Christ. Mm persecution and suffering and, and exposing of evil. And yeah, so it, it is like, hey, come experience this thing that we're called to do, but sometimes overlook in the scriptures. And 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 I can't promise you it's going to be all roses, but what I will promise you is that God's promises will be revealed to you. <laughs> His word will be made yeah. known to you in a new way, in, yeah. in a beautiful You'll way. You'll know and, God more. And you will know yeah. God more, yeah. exactly. How beautiful. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, too, about the language, because you very intentionally, I suspect— the organization use abortion-minded mothers and fathers or men and women. I would suspect that's intentional. So much of this conversation is like who's winning the who's winning the battle with language are mm. we pro life or are we anti abortion <laughs> yeah. you know so a lot of it is obviously manipulating language yeah. but being clear is actually using a tool that God has given us well so yeah. a is that intentional mm. b why do you use language like that mm. so so intentional thanks for catching that it is so intentional i think a big reason too is because when we're at abortion clinics um we do get called out for not being nuanced um, and be, that's because not every single person entering the clinic is actually getting an abortion. Mm. Um, there are people there getting some OBGYN care. It's very mm. few and far between. And if you go to our clinic's website, fpa.com, they actually state that they're no longer taking new OBGYN clients. They're only receiving abortion clients now. Um, but some of their old grandfathered in clients are still going, receiving birth control and things like this. So we do do our best to present balanced messages and to communicate in a nuanced way because we don't want to overstate. And then the Bible says, do not let your good be spoken bad about. So we can be there to be doing good, and then they'll find little ways to nitpick us. Um, And so we do our best. Now, we can't always be that nuanced in every conversation. You could be enslaved to that Correct. So we just do our best to honor God in our our speech, and it it absolutely is intentional. Yeah. Um, because we don't want to overstate, overplay our hand, if you yeah. will. Um, and so does that, does that kind of no, answer? No, certainly, but, certainly. But at, in the same sense, brother, there's been moments where um, there was a time when there I saw a mom walking into a clinic, or at least someone I thought was a mom, I guess I should say, and she was dropped off at the other end of the building, about 100 yards away from me, a football field away from me, and I saw that nobody from the clinic was escorting her in. She was all by herself. So I saw that as an opportunity to preach to her. So I made a run for it. I ran 300 feet down the block and uh, 
by the time I got to the corner, she had her hand on the door of the clinic. She was about to walk in. And so I, I was at that point, she was another hundred yards away from me. So I, by the time I got to where she was, she was already a hundred yards away from right. me. And I only had one second to shout before she went into the clinic. And I, my, my go-to method is not usually yelling. Um, but I knew that I had only one minute and one second. And I said, please don't kill your baby. It was the only thing I could say to her. She didn't even flinch. She walked in that door. And an hour later, as I'm out on the streets ministering, because I was there for about two hours that day, and that was probably within the first 20 minutes of me being there, an hour later, a woman walks out who I didn't recognize and I didn't know, and she says, hey, by chance, was that you who yelled at me? And bro, I was so embarrassed. I almost lied. Like, I was like, no, no. I was thinking in my heart, like, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't mean to yell. I knew I shouldn't have yelled. Why did I yell? I never yell. I don't want to yell. I'm not a yeller. And I said... Yeah, that was me. Kind of ashamed, honestly, because I was like, I knew that was a bad idea. And she said, your words rattled my soul. And I couldn't go through with it. And coming here, I knew that the only person in my life that didn't want me to do this was my mom. Because I had almost aborted my other baby and my mom told me not to. But since then, I've lost my mom. And she was the only person that would have wanted me to keep my baby. And I knew that if my mom was alive, she wouldn't want me to abort. And I had been looking for a sign the whole time. And there you were, saying what my mom would have said. I'm going home. Wow. So we never know where people are yeah. and if they've been preached to before. Or if someone's even just simply encouraged them not to. Or if they're looking for a sign or don't want a sign because their heart's hardened. But we do know that Christ has called us to go. And the Bible says that one person will plant, another person will water Ultimately, God does the growing. Right. What an amazing thing that God uses people who are once his enemies, sinners, dead in their trespasses and sins. He doesn't just give us new life, but he actually gives us a calling. He gives us something to do. He doesn't ask us to twiddle our thumbs and wait for him to return uh, and just wait for heaven as if we go to heaven, whereas heaven is being described as coming down. From it, Paul says in Philippians, what, three? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and he's coming back. So anyways, <laughs> I digress. But um, yeah, God uses people for his purposes. And this is a mighty purpose that you're describing, to save life, which honestly just gives these image bearers an opportunity to actually experience true life, namely life with Christ. Um, What we often say here is like, don't try this at home without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And this, you know, this seems so clear in in this instance. It's like, but but that's true of all of the Christian life, not to downplay, you know, but like this is just life with God. Like in a sense, he does give us, he gives us a task that is way too tall for any one of us at, you know, as individuals. As a community, we're a little bit closer, but even still, we need to be a community who God indwells to actually carry out this work. So just close us on a word of exhortation about doing this in the power of God, not yeah. in the power of like, because someone might hear this and do so out of fear anger. or mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. or 
just actually fleshly excitement. Like it is cool to be a part of a cause. That's yeah. great. It's yeah. common grace. Yeah. But we got to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, brother. I appreciate you saying that because I the the Bible teaching of Jesus that resounds so heavy in my heart is when Jesus talks about the the unruly master, the unruly servant rather, who had a big debt with his king, goes to the king, cries out that the king would forgive him for his debts. The king in his mercy says, sure, you've been forgiven. Shortly later, that same servant now has servants of his own who are crying out to forgiveness, and he refuses. He gets summoned, and his king says, what's wrong with you? I've forgiven you for so much, and you couldn't forgive the measly debts that people had against you. And then he casts him where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think when it comes to sins like abortion or homosexuality or whatever have you, many of us have these so real experiences with these sins. Many of us have either come from those lifestyles or our family has these lifestyles. And when we come to Christ, we can have what we think is this righteous indignation towards it. And then shortly we're ministering and we're preaching and we're doing things like this not from a place where we've been forgiven. And I think we do run the risk of becoming seen as what God would say is unmerciful servants. And so that's why I make it clear that we don't minister from a place of hate necessarily of abortion. We minister from a place of obedience and love to our Lord. And I think that, you know, that's a common... Uh, pitfall of anybody doing ministry. I think the the human uh, tendency is to exalt man and and make God lower. And so that's just something that we should be mindful of whenever we're serving the Lord. And, and that is a pitfall that we see in this line of work. But by God's grace, if you're rooted in his word and in a local church, you know, we think that you can stay on the right path. Yeah. Well, Juan, again, so grateful to have you on uh, if, if you want to learn more about his story, uh, really a bigger part of his story that uh, preceded your work at Love Life, then check out, we mentioned it in the last episode, it's called Paint the Wall Black. It's on YouTube. It's a documentary about the season of his life before this. Um, you can also find out more info at lovelife.org or is it com? Dot org. Dot org. Lovelife.org. And... Uh, I'm sure there's ways to get plugged in through oh, yeah. there if there's individuals. Uh, if you're pastoring a church or involved in a church and you want to see our church on board with this, then uh, reach out to Juan and the organization. That's what, that's what they're here for. So, brother, thank you. May God continue to bless your ministry. Can't wait to have you on, Lord willing, in a year and hear about uh, the numbers doubling in the positive Amen. sense. Amen, that's right. Uh, the, 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 the 23 has turned into 46 plus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can believe for results like that. So God bless you, bro. Thanks for joining the conversation on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. If you're benefiting from these conversations, consider sharing this podcast episode with a friend or neighbor. We would also love to hear about topics you want to discuss. So reach out to us with your ideas at gospel at ASCCChicago.org. Until next time, 
Remember that Christ's unchanging gospel is transforming your life in an ever-changing city.